Happy birthday, Dame Agatha Christie. We have been teasing for a while now about a new special episode that we're going to do every once in a while, and it is going to be called In Agatha's Footsteps, where we will highlight established authors who we adore, and they will give advice to new authors or up-and-coming authors, they will spread their knowledge. We started this podcast with the focus has always been on authors who are not household names. And it will still remain that. And we will still <laughs> remain doing that. We also have to acknowledge those authors that are household names. So you can learn from them. And our criteria is they need to be authors we really like. They have to be authors who have been on the bestseller list. That's basically it. And they have to be willing to talk to us. That's the <laughs> That's a big Yeah, we need to the water with that guy. <laughs> we could just talk about them. <laughs> yes, but they wouldn't give advice. So. And we are very thrilled that our first interview is with Alan Bradley, who writes the very successful Flavia Deleuze mystery series. And we were so excited when he agreed to talk to us. Alan Bradley was born in Toronto, Ontario, and grew up in the pleasant lakeside town of Cobourg, Ontario. After a long career in television broadcasting, he took early retirement from the University of Saskatchewan to write full-time. He's published many children's stories as well as lifestyle and arts columns in Canadian newspapers. His adult stories have been broadcast on CBC Radio and published in various literary journals. He has also written several screenplays and taught university-level courses in screenwriting. He was the recipient of the first Saskatchewan Writers Guild Award for children's literature. After writing for several years on the Maltese island of Gozo, Alan Bradley now lives on the Isle of Man. Alan Bradley writes the Flavia Deleuze series, which we have all read and we all enjoy. We devour yes. them. We love Flavia. The first book of his Flavia Deleuze series, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie, won the 2007 debut Dagger Award of the Crime Writers Association in the UK, the 2009 Agatha Award for Best First Novel, the 2010 Deleuze, awarded by the International Mystery Booksellers Association, the Spotted Owl Award, given by the Friends of Mystery, and the 2010 Author Ellis Award, given by the Crime Writers of Canada for Best First Novel. The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie has also been nominated for an Anthony Award, a Barry Award, and a McCavity Award. Besides appearing on the New York Times bestsellers list as a favorite mystery of 2009, Sweetness was also, among other honors, an American Library Association nominee as Best Book for Young Adults, a Barnes & Noble's bestseller, and was named to the 2009 Bloomer List. The audiobook version of The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie was voted Best Audiobook by iTunes. All six of the Flavia Deleuze books published to date have been New York Times bestsellers and are presently published in 39 countries and 36 languages. 
and the series has been optioned for television by the Academy Award-winning producer-director Sam Mendes of Skyfall and American Beauty fame. Okay, now, I can't wait. This <laughs> is apparently a little out of date because his 10th Flavia book is coming out Decent. in the winter of this year. Well, you'll, you'll hear that in the interview, and I hope you really enjoy this interview. We definitely did. Mr. Bradley was... A delight. A delight. A delight. True he delight. gracious. And then after this episode's over, we're going to get the celebration really started. And we have purchased gifts for each other to celebrate Dame Agatha's birthday. And we got champagne. <laughs> You'll have to take our word on that. Party poppers. <laughs> And we'll t- and the gifts will will describe them, but we'll also take pictures and put them on our website. So enjoy our interview. We would like to welcome Alan Bradley, who is the author of many Flavia Deleuze novels that are just they're one of my favorite things. I'm always looking forward to the next one to come down the line. It just. It's such a pleasure to welcome you to our podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I feel honored. Now, were you a precocious child growing up? And how difficult was it to put yourself into the mind of a preteen girl? <laughs> okay, I I don't know if I would call it precocious, but I think I was uh, blessed by my mother with the gift of being left alone and being encouraged to read and to read anything that I wanted to uh, so that I was always allowed to um, exist in my own space and read whatever I chose to read. And my mother was always very supportive of that, very encouraging. Uh, And so I, I read way beyond my level. I was an early reader and um, read anything that I could get my hands on from uh, home and the local library. So I suppose some of some of the things I read would be deemed inappropriate nowadays. But um, if, if that's what makes a precocious reader, then the answer <laughs> is probably yes. <laughs> And as far as um, getting into the mind of an 11-year-old, as Flavia is in the first book, um, I I think that I can get into the mind of an 11-year-old boy. And for a child who has a vast amount of interest and curiosity about the world and what makes it tick, I, I don't think that there's any difference between girls and boys at that particular age. So I, I can um, have, a, have a pretty good um, outlook on what it was like to be 11. I recall being 11, and I remember that tremendous enthusiasm for things that you were just burning with so much curiosity you couldn't sleep. Where did the idea for Flavia herself come from? Well, now, that's a story. Uh, I... Um, had thought when I retired, I'd been thinking for quite a few years that I would really like to write a traditional uh, English mystery story. Uh, Notice that I don't call it cozy because I don't like that term, Uh, or even golden age. I think traditional is more the way I think of them. And uh, I finally 
had an opportunity to sit down when I was um, about 68 or 69. I was preoccupied with other things, and I started writing what I think of as my Alan Bradley mystery, and I got into it um, about a chapter or so. And um, a girl wandered onto the page and into the story without my permission. I, I had never conceived of her. Uh, and in fact, I didn't know who she was. She just appeared on the page and virtually hijacked the book. And uh, as I've said many times, it, it was a, a strange time uh, for me because I didn't know what her name was. And if you don't know someone's name, you can't write a book about them. Uh, so we started off with uh, quite a, a lengthy period with me trying to guess her name. And I would go out walking in the morning and just pull names out of a hat. Uh, you know, is your name um, Margaret uh, de Marchand or something? And in my mind, this little girl, this Flavia, would just... She wouldn't speak. She would just roll her eyes up to heaven and go. <laughs> and I, I think, I don't know how many thousand names I guessed in my walks, but one day I said, is your name Flavia Duluth? And there was just an, a long and ominous silence. And I ran home and um, I told this story before, obviously, but I said it was like guessing Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> And oh, great. I had to get my fingers on the keyboard right away, and I, I started writing, and Flavia just came through. She she said uh, it was as black in the closet as old blood, and I, I had no idea who she was or where she lived, what she was talking about, but as I was typing, I realized that if I was really quiet and, and just huddled in the corner and didn't say anything and didn't inject any of myself, she would reveal herself, not to me, but to the reader that she had in mind. I, I was just sort of an intermediary. I was like a piece of conduit, I think, between Flavia and the world. And uh, she came pouring through, and here we are ten books later. Well, we're really happy she did. Yes, definitely. <laughs> oh, my. How do you foresee Flavia's future? Will she grow into adulthood in, in the books? Well, uh, there have been suggestions that it would be fun to have uh, Flavia um, at about 70 looking back and telling what <laughs> happened to all the people. But uh, Flavia, even at 18 or 20, is not going to be the same person that she is at 11 or 12. And I think she has so much to say yet and so much to learn that I, I wouldn't supposed to push her into a premature adulthood. She's getting there slowly on her own, and uh, I don't think she needs any threats from me hanging over her head. So I, I suppose it could happen someday, but I, I don't have anything like that in mind at the moment. But uh, 
I, I should explain that Flavia is always talking to me. She talks to me in the middle of the night. She wakes up <laughs> and wakes me up and uh, drops cryptic little utterances that I have no idea what they mean. I have the faintest idea. <laughs> so I have to get up, wake up, try and get myself awake, find a pencil, write it down, uh, and not not a clue what she's talking about. It will be just a couple of words sometimes. Uh, it might be in opinion about something and so I jot it down and then when I'm awake I I sort of try to slog through it and find out what what it was sometimes I I don't know for a long time I might be in the next book somewhere you know along about chapter 13 or chapter 14 and all of a sudden this these words will come out of Flavia's mouth and I realized that she had been talking to me in advance about a year ago uh, she, you know, she had had it in mind a long time ahead of me. So I try not to tinker with the process. I, I don't know very much about it. I'm in awe of it. it it's uh, Flavia is a gift from the universe, and I have to approach her very reverently and be very careful to try not to tarnish or, or miscolor her words and ideas. It's weird, but there it is. Now, are there any plans to do a TV series or a movie about Flavia? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, there is a TV series in process, even as we speak. I think they're scouting locations for it. Uh, the series had been optioned by uh, Sam Mendes of um, James Bond fame. Oh, wow. Uh, for uh, quite a few years, but uh, the production company was sold, and uh, with it, I think, went a number of projects, including the Flavia TV series, but it has since been uh, picked up um, by another producer. I'm very, very happy about it. You might have seen some preliminary uh, work on uh, on the internet or in the films about the um, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that that is the company that will be producing the Flavia series. Uh, I've, I've seen the first script of, of the first episode of the, the series, and it, it's uh, very, very exciting. I know that's, that's hackneyed, but it is exciting. It oh, makes my heart... Yeah. Are you going to be working as an advisor with them or to make sure they stick I, to the story? Yes, I, I have the opportunity to read the scripts and to uh, give them any ideas that I uh, happen to think of. Uh, we've already done that to some extent. It, it doesn't mean that they have to do what I tell them to do, but uh, I, I can gently suggest it, I think. But they've been very, very, very good about uh, incorporating ideas. Well, we will definitely look forward to that. Now, I am always impressed with the title of the Flavia books. Do those come first or do the, the actual story come first? Um, that's very perceptive because usually the titles come first ah. and the, they suggest the story. The first book, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie, had had quite an, an interesting genesis. My wife had bought me um, at a, what was it called? It was like a yard sale. It wasn't a flea market. It was a yard sale. Uh, she had bought me an, an old multi-volume dictionary from about 1901 or somewhere around the turn of that century. 
And uh, it was wonderful. It was one of those old dictionaries that had little uh, pen and ink drawings for many of the items so that you can see what things looked like. I took to reading it uh, a lot just for browsing. Whenever I wasn't doing anything else, I would grab a volume of this dictionary and pick it up and just open it at random. Uh, you know, like if you were going to the bathroom or something, it's a good way to <laughs> catch up on, on uh on word history and i i had this book one day for some reason it was it was volume one that had a to c or something like that <laughs> and it fell open at the word crinkle and my immediate thought was crinkle what a good word that is i i haven't heard that for years i haven't heard anybody say crinkle uh, since i was a child i wonder why we don't use it more and in the dictionary uh, each word had several examples of how it had been used by great writers and for crinkle there, there was um, an entry for uh, uh, a gentleman named king who had written in the 1600s a cookery book which was entirely in rhyme using the word crinkle his quotation went something like unless some sweetness at the bottom lie who cares for all the crinkling of the pie <laughs> and instantly i thought that's book title the yeah. sweetness at the bottom of the pie, it's a book title. And as it turned out, I didn't use it for uh, years, maybe 10. This preceded the book by a very long time. And when I was writing, taking Flavia's dictation madly, not knowing what it was, about halfway through the book, you can almost find the page if you read it, it suddenly struck me, I'm writing The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. That's great. So that, that was the first book. The other ones uh, uh, tended to be things from my random reading. I would uh, just happen upon very fortuitous phrases when I was looking for a title. It, it's magic the way that works. Yeah, I can just go to the library or go to my library and pick out a book and just thumb through it, and the title will leap off the page sooner or later. The weed that strings the hangman's bag and a red hair without mustard and yes. I am sick of shadows which is tennis and a coat of course and find and a private uh, place yeah each one of them uh, in in the beginning the publishers didn't think much of them they said the uh, nobody will get it the titles are too way too long way 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 too long but after the sweetness at the bottom of the pie got on the New York Times bestseller list everybody said what great titles yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love the titles you yes. come up with. So I, I've, I've had no further objections about them. In fact, I think they kind of look forward to them a little bit. <laughs> we do. Good. Yes. Yeah, I have, I have fun with them. The new one, which yeah. is uh, the next one, which is coming out in January next year, is called The Golden Tresses of the Dead. Oh, oh. look forward to that. It's, I, I just received the advance reading copies a um, couple of days ago, and it's a very nice-looking book. And that's the tenth one, so... Yes. You can see that I've been keeping my nose to the grindstone. <laughs> now, how do you think Flavia would do in today's world with the Internet and all the technology we have today that she didn't have back then? Yeah, I think she'd be plotting to poison all the politicians. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I liked her. <laughs> 
Oh, she's quite a girl. She's quite a girl. I think she would look askance at, uh, at the world the way it is today, as I do. I could totally uh, agree with her or see her agreeing with me, whichever comes first. But Flavia and I are like the chicken and the egg, so it's hard to tell. But I, I think can we can that. safely say that poison would play a part. Oh, of course. Alan, we have a lot of first-time writers that listen to our podcast, and we were wondering if you could talk a bit about when you got your first book published and some of the trials and tribulations that uh, came along with that. Sure. Well, as I say, I, I, I think I was 69 when the first book was published. It, it took a long time. Someone had told me years before that that it would uh, take 10 years to write a book and get it published, and they were wrong. It took 15. <laughs> but um, I, I think there, there are several things that add up to good advice. I, I don't claim to be an expert on it, but I can speak about my own experience. And I think the first thing is to write the best book that you possibly can, that you uh, write it and polish and polish and polish and polish until you can polish no more uh, is very important. It also helps to be able to get it to the right person uh, if you can find a way of doing that. But at the same time, I firmly believe that if you write the best possible book that you can, and, and it is a good book, I don't think any uh, editor or publishing house would ever turn it down. Uh, there, there are so many manuscripts received that are not good, uh, and of course they can tell from the first page whether, whether it's going to be publishable or not. So you need to um, grab the editor right on the first page with the quality of the writing as much as anything. I know people talk about writing gripping narrative hooks and, you know, have somebody's throat slit in the first two lines, but that isn't important. It's the quality of the writing uh, that I think is, is uh, absolutely paramount. And then the next thing would be to finish it. Uh, it's more difficult than you can ever imagine to finish a book. When you start out writing it, you're full of bubbles and you think it's going to be fun. And you don't realize that it, it might take 10,000 hours to do this. And you have to be writing about something that you can stay enthused about for all of that time. You have to don't be beat down by the book. Uh, so in other words, you you just have to write and write a lot and uh, clean it up. Another thing is to take chances, do things that nobody has ever done before. Uh, editors love that. They don't hate it. Uh, they don't want it to be unreadably wild. I mean, you can imagine what Joyce's publishers thought when they saw the manuscript of Finnegan's Week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, Ulysses, uh, and of course goes on to be uh, an all-time classic. So take chances and uh, have fun with it and write about things not only that you know about, but things that, that you're very interested in so that you can get through the draggy times and yeah 
but above all, or, or underneath all, I guess, is keep your behind in the chair. That's the hard part. Yeah, that's great advice for our writers. One of our members, uh, Kathy, it would like to ask you a follow-up question. Okay. Well, it's basically about what you were inspired by or who you were inspired by more accurately. What authors inspired you to write and who you emulate? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there are so many. I, I would have to send you a library uh, from, <laughs> from early years, Mark Twain, from middle years, uh, people who write gloriously like T.H. White, uh, in later years, people who uh, are, are just off the scale, and Angela Carter, for example, might be surprising, but... Um, I, there are a lot of books that I love. I, I like things about things that I know nothing about so that I can learn about them. I discovered Patrick O'Brien's uh, seafaring novels, which are gorgeously written. He based them on Jane Austen. And oh, wow. uh, Patrick O'Brien's uh, sailing novels, I, I had to tear them away from my wife. Uh-huh. Uh, she, she was reading ahead of me, and uh, I think there were about 12 uh, there wound up being about 20 of them in all, and they're absolutely magnificent. Uh, as far as historical writing goes, there was another author named George MacDonald Fraser who wrote a series of novels about Flashman, uh, who was an absolute cad that lived uh, <laughs> in the time of the Napoleonic Wars, and his research and his capturing of atmosphere and language is just uh, I can't describe it. I can only tell you that uh, they are one of two books, and I'll tell you in a minute who wrote the other one, but only two books have ever literally made me fall out of bed laughing. <laughs> and, uh, George MacDonald Fraser uh, with Flashman was one, and the other one you have probably guessed is Garrison Keillor. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, very, very funny. Uh, so, do you, highly recommended. Do you have any upcoming events or book signings that you'd like our listeners to uh, know about? Uh, I don't write at the moment. As, as the years go by and I age, uh, inevitably, uh, we're, we're getting up there and travel is not uh, as easy as it was even 10 years ago. It's so much more difficult and stressful to uh, travel that I have uh, turned down a lot of requests to go to uh, literary events or, or book signings uh, uh, simply because it's just too difficult to do nowadays. Uh, so I, I tend not to do them. I'm focusing more on doing things like uh, communicating by Skype with libraries, which I am happy to do, uh, or to do interviews as, as we're doing, or just chatting as we're doing now, uh, and, and get away from the big time book touring i i did a huge amount of touring with the flavia books i was as hank snow used to say in his song i've been everywhere man (laughs) croatia finland germany um you you name it malta I've, I've been at Oxford to talk about the Flavia books, which I think is oh, the wow. ultimate. Yes. So now, uh, I, at the moment, I'm laying low, let's say. <laughs> now, can I ask you a off-the-wall question? Sure. 
Do you have any plans or is it feasible that someday you'll write a book about Dogger and his adventures before he came to live at Buckshaw? Oh, that's a good idea. Yes. There you uh, go. Yeah, because we're very intrigued by Dogger. Yes. Well, you're going to love the new book. Oh, oh good. Good. <laughs> absolutely going to love the new book when it comes out and Dogger. I don't think I would be giving away any uh, secrets because I think the, um, the thumbnail sketch of the book is on some of the websites on the Internet. You'll be interested to hear in, in the doings of uh, a little firm that has been founded called uh, Arthur Dogger and Associates. Ah. <laughs> investigations. Ah, very interesting. They're they're already um, at it hard. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's great. Well, Alan, we cannot thank you enough for doing this, and we wish you luck with the future of Flavia and any other projects you have, and this episode will be the in Agatha's footstep, it shall be coming out soon. Please look look for that. And we'll be looking for the next Flavia book. In January, right? In January. January. Thank you. I'm honored to be in Agatha's footsteps. I'll just have to watch and make sure that I don't step in any poison. <laughs> oh, definitely. Ah, ah, good Thank good you job. again so much. You're well, very welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, that was brilliant. That was a great interview. Yes, Alan, he is welcome on our show anytime. Yes, and we thank him so much for taking time out of his schedule to talk with us. And now, let's get our party started. (laughs) (laughs) To celebrate Agatha's birthday, we bought each other small gifts to launch our In Agatha's Footsteps. And what we'll do is we will open them and describe them, but we will also put pictures on our website so you can see what those gifts are. Okay. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. All right. This, my, the first gift is for Anne and it's from me. Ooh, 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 my present. Bagatha Christie bag. Isn't that great? Oh, thank you. There's something in the bag. There's something in the bag. Uh Uh-oh. The bag is black and white. It's a good size carry-all, and it says... Made of canvas. It's canvas I actually had somebody make it on Etsy. Ah, very nice. And it says Bagatha Christie on it. Did you come up with that? No, they did. (laughs) And there's a paper... Oh, a sticker it's for, for two, your car. 221B. I wonder what address that is. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tracy. And now I have a gift for Kathy. Oh, oh. Okay. Ooh. Oh, great. Sherlock Holmes Book of Conundrums. Brain oh. teasers, lateral thinking puzzles, puzzles, logic problems by Dan Moore Esquire. Solutions to the most fiendishly difficult riddles are concealed in a sealed envelope. Is there a sealed envelope? I guess it is. Wow. Oh, cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. I love this. Oh, and I have my own 221B car sticker. And I have my, I got us each one. Oh, cool. Thank you, Tracy. That's wonderful. I'm going to share this with my boss, actually. We like to uh, tease each other with these puzzles. We haven't done it in a while, so 
That'll be there fun. There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll go next. And I got very similar gifts for Tracy and Anne. Okay. So we'll okay. At the same time. And if they explode. <laughs> <laughs> oh. St. Mary Mead. Ah. Miss, oh, isn't this cool? Oh, Whitehaven Mansion. Yeah. Oh. These are candles. Candles with, mine is from, it says, Flame Noir Candle Company presents London 1935 Whitehaven Mansions. Of course, that's where Hercule Poirot lives. A distinguished blend of Belgian chocolate, blooming poppies, and the aroma of old-fashioned grooming tonic. What a neat! Ooh, I and like mine that. is Downshire nineteen. Is that fifty? Nineteen fifty Saint Mary Mead. A prudent blend of fragrant black tea, fresh cotton, whispering jasmine, and the soft and airy scents of an English garden. Oh, I'm these are very yours. cool. And then there's Ooh, a whole. Kathy, there's a I'm... card. That explains. It gives Miss all the Miss Marvel. All the Miss Marvel. I've got all the Hercule Poirot. And, right. Oh, and neat. On the Kathy. inside, it has a little excerpt from the book as a cover over the candle. That's very neat. So I think this will be my. I'll light this candle as I'm reading mysteries. Yes. To, uh, Thank you, Kathy. Well, light up a candle, get a cup of hot chocolate, and sit and read. <laughs> All right. Dame now, Agatha. Talk about a theme. It's for both of you. There's two in there. I only have one fancy bag. So. Oh. Oh, <laughs> more bags. <laughs> it's a bag day. Okay. When in doubt, doubt read it, Agatha Christie. Those are great. Those are bags. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny that we <laughs> great minds think alike. Yes. Well, that That's, concludes our gift our giving uh, portion of the episode. <laughs> so now let's break out the champagne. Pop. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much, Tracy and Ian. I love that. Thank, thank you, girls. guys. That, I'm going to light this candle. Oh, that smells good. Oh, I like that. Let's smell the chocolate. We will update our show notes with links to where we purchased our gifts if you're interested in any of them. So this was a special episode along with our our Coons episode. So check check that one out too. And we will resume regular episodes after this. Our music came from the Black Lake Singing Group. We appreciate their allowing us to use their song to celebrate Agatha's birthday. Thanks again. Happy birthday, Agatha! Bye! Bye.